Welcome back to the Get Loved Up podcast, your number one resource for inspiration and motivation to live your purpose, make healthy living a priority, and thrive doing what you love. I'm your host, Koya Webb, a small town girl who chased her dreams and caught them, a former track and field athlete who healed using spirituality and yoga, and an entrepreneur who didn't let sexual assault racism, and insecurities dim her light. And now it's your turn to allow these episodes with some of the top voices in spirituality, wellness, and entrepreneurship to inspire you to thrive. Let's get loved up together. Dr. Tama Bryan is the president-elect of the American Psychological Association, the leading scientific and professional organization representing psychology with more than 100,000 members, APA.org. She is the host of the Homecoming podcast and the author of the new book, Homecoming, Overcome Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self. Dr. Tama. (laughs) Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited and I absolutely loved your book. I got it on Audible and I listened to the entire thing on my drive from LA to Atlanta. And you know, I'm not going back to Tennessee is what which which is my home, but it felt like a homecoming. So oh, really- I love that. <laughs> that you were literally on a journey as you were listening. Absolutely. So let's just start there. What inspired you um, with the name, first of all, and we'll get into some of the nitty gritty, but what really inspired yeah. you there? So there's both the psychological piece and the cultural piece. And right. so psychologically, my area of expertise is trauma recovery and experiences of trauma and stress disconnect us from ourselves. We don't feel at home, even in our own bodies. And so to heal from trauma and to de-stress is to recenter or to come home to yourself. And then it's also a cultural wink because we often talk about uh, homecomings within the Black community. And so on college campuses, those are big celebrations. Uh, Some churches have it where old members or relatives, family and friends show up. And so it's a time of uh, connection It's a time of remembering. It's a time of refilling your well. It's a time of going back to your roots. And so it is both cultural, uh, spiritual, and psychological. Uh, I love that. And you feel that through every chapter of the book. Um, What do you feel like was your favorite part? Like, what is the part that you always refer back to or have people ask about the most? Yes. So I'll say two things. One, people really love the stories. So Mm -hmm. for those who haven't read it yet, as I'm describing a theme, I give a vignette or a case study or a little story for my life. And I think it helps people to relate, to apply what I'm talking about. So it's not just in the abstract. And then also helps people to know they're not the only one. I think because often, especially in social media, we're comparing ourselves to people's um, kind of filtered life. And Mm -hmm. so you can think like everybody else is doing well. Nobody else is stressed out. It's only me. And so hearing kind of the stories of people from all walks of life Um, has really connected well with people. And I will also say I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, and it may be the times we're in on the chapter on breakups. 
just because so many people are dealing with heartbreak. So I've even had people who say they read that chapter first because that's where they are and then went back uh, and did the homecoming journey from there. Absolutely. And I was actually going through a breakup at the same time. (laughs) That that chapter was so helpful because I feel like, you know, you have a great way. And I want you to kind of talk about how you got into this of like inviting people to different realities. And I really love how you invite people to realize that multiple realities can be true for multiple people. Can you talk a little bit about that and the mm-hmm. importance of that, especially when it comes to breakups? Right. It is um, perspective. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it makes sense that we usually see things from our perspective, from our lane. And so we can assume att- intentions um, or we can assume thought processes for other people, not recognizing we're all different. And so we handle things differently. We respond to things differently. Uh, and what's not a big deal to us doesn't mean it's not a big deal. It, it just means it's not a big deal to us. But I have to take into uh, my perspective the uh, idea of the other person. So one example as it relates to breakups is I've had couples who are you know, really about to uncouple and one person is kind of ready and one person is holding on. And sometimes the person uh, who is not ready to let go says they just need this person to try. And why won't this person try? And the person who is already ready to release says, I've been trying you, and you didn't start trying until I gave up. So then what I say to them is it's not that the two of you weren't willing to try is that you weren't ready to try at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a different, like, Oh, you know, even if you feel like they were late in their motivation, right. They're like, now I'm ready. So it just helps to be able to step outside of yourself. And I think being uh, a listener has helped me to be able to do that. And also if you're doing like couples therapy or family therapy, you're really trying to understand where everybody is coming from without taking sides, unless it's a case of like abuse. I'm just really trying to see like, how did they land that way? Like what, how are they seeing this that's so different from the other person? Right. I think that's so beautiful. The, the perspective. And I feel like um, you give a lot of tools. Can you share some of those tools that will help people um, when it comes to coming home to themselves? Absolutely. So uh, one of the tools that we talk about, there's a chapter on emotional intelligence. And this is so important to come home to myself is to tell myself the truth and then live based on that truth. And that requires me being able to know how I feel. And many of us are disconnected from our own emotions. So the example I often give is if someone is in session and they're telling me a story they're clearly very upset about. And if I say, you know, it sounds like that really upset you. And they say, no, it didn't. I don't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you look upset. No, I'm not upset. I don't care. Right. So sometimes we are checked out from our own truth. Right. So I need to know what I feel. I think uh, we've received messages around gender, around race, around age, around culture, around religion. 
about what emotions are acceptable for us. So for example, with men, it's acceptable for them to be angry, but not disappointed, right? I say like, it sounds like, and that's one of the examples I give in the um, book, was a man who kept um, fussing about his wife and kept putting her down. And what it really came out was he was insecure and feeling like she was thriving and successful and couldn't imagine why she would stay with him. But instead of speaking to his fear and insecurity, it was all of this criticism of her. And Mm -hmm. so we have to get to like the understory, like the root of what's really happening. And it makes sense that many of us um, didn't grow up with that skill because some people may have grown up with the phrase I often heard growing up, uh, which was fix your face. Mm. Right. So in our community, often children aren't allowed to look upset. Right. They can't look bored, even if it's boring. They can't look angry. They can't look afraid. They're supposed to look grateful or neutral. Right. And so if you have like been programmed that your whole life, you know, many of us have learned to mask what we feel and we may mask it so well, we don't even know what we feel. And so, you know, just an exercise people can do if you Google like a list of emotions that's longer than happy and sad, right? There are more emotions. And then for each emotion, try to think of an experience that caused you to feel that. So you can start to become more aware of your own emotions and then uh, to be able to communicate our emotions. And the flip side of emotional intelligence is to be able to acknowledge the emotions of other people, right? Mm -hmm. When I say read the room. So if I'm coming in and I have my agenda, but it looks like everybody's exhausted or mad about something, like this might not be the time for what I was planning to talk about. If I'm going in to meet with my supervisor and I want to ask for a raise, but I walk in and don't notice this person is devastated or just got off a terrible phone call, Uh, But I'm so in my thing that I'm not observing and I'm going to end up sabotaging myself. So to be able to start tuning in to the fact that we're not clones just because I feel something doesn't mean that's what another person is feeling. And so then to be able to relate with people who are feeling different things. Mm -hmm. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think emotional intelligence is something that's going to help us de-stress because it's understanding our own emotions first. And once we understand our own emotions, then we can better understand other people's emotions. And I think people, like you said, they disarm their emotions or they Mm -hmm. they turn a blind eye to their emotions and they try to understand someone else's emotions and it doesn't work because it's impossible to have that level of compassion if you don't have it for yourself. That's right. And then those emotions, you know, when we're feeling distress or whatever it is we're feeling, recognizing that people handle that in different ways, right? So some people, when they're feeling upset, start cleaning, right? They just want to start organizing, decluttering. You know, I have one of those mothers who just want to throw stuff away. And you're like, where did my thing go? (laughs) It's gone. (laughs) And everything is gone. And then you have other people who are like immobilized in their distress. And so the clutter is growing and it's hard. They're just kind of walking around it like they don't even see it. So recognizing uh, that we all have stress and distress, but what we do with it may be different. Mm -hmm. That is so true. And I think um, another thing that you talked about is how some people 
retreat and some people want to engage right away. Can you talk about that? Because I think that dynamic happens a lot in relationships. How do how does a person deal when their, I guess, conflict resolution style is different? Yes. So, so uh, important and good to recognize what does, and this is how we learn each other. What does this person's style mean? Right? So for example, some people like to think it through before they speak on it. And some people they're talking about it is them working through it. Right? Right. So then the person who is trying to think it through first may be interpreted as disengaged or not caring, um, or you may think they're leaving you, you know, of like, well, they're not saying anything. That means they're not interested. Meanwhile, this person may be stressed out, not sleeping, trying to figure it out. And so you're like, I just need you to talk to me. And yes, we do have to communicate, but I would encourage you to reflect on within the relationship or the friendship or this with this family member, um, do they ever return to the topic after they've given it thought? Or is it really avoidance of them trying to shut down the conversation and never speak on it, right? And so if it is more so they like to think it through first to give them that space. Um, and if you're one of those who just want to like talk in the moment, it may help to uh, journal. It may help to do like a voice note to yourself because you're like, I got to get it out, right? I'm ready to talk now. And mm-hmm. so then I can reference back to my note when we're talking about it and say, you know, well, what I felt was this, what I was thinking was this. And to listen to understand, not listen to respond or defend. Because sometimes, you know, we're just talking over each other or we're talking in circles, which is why sometimes the, a, a therapist can help because to just help people ensure that there's a turn taking and are you really taking in what this person is saying um, or are we overwhelmed by resentments from the past? Mm-hmm. Yes, I love what you said. Re- listening to understand, um, because I think a lot of people are listening, but they're not finding that they understand or or, or can relate. Yeah. What do you have to say in that instance where you're listening, but you mm-hmm. like, I just don't get you. I don't. Right. I don't. Relate. Yeah. So um, not in a. Um, diagnosing way or in a put down way, but to consider that we had different life journeys that have shaped us. You know, we may have had different parents. We, the way the world responded to us was different. And so we've developed different styles and strategies because what I find often, um, especially with couples is people assume if you love each other, that's going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I love you and you love me. That's love conquers all. Um, but when we talk about kind of the day to day, along with that love, you're dealing with a personality. You know, you're dealing with some preferences. And sometimes we haven't discussed them because we assume people think like us or will respond like us or want to spend money or not spend money like us. And so uh, it takes the compassion and the maturity to know, I believe you love me, if you believe them, right? I believe you love me. And at the same time, uh, we are very different people. So we have to see how that 
if that can work out or not. And sometimes it doesn't. And it can be like a conclusion of like, nobody here is a terrible person. We just have like very different styles, right? So I'll give you, this is, you know, years, years ago when I was a graduate student, I'll give you this example from my life. So uh, I was dating someone who grew up in a household where his parents worked together on the weekends, the dad would go play golf and the mother would bring the dad lunch on the golf course. If the mom went to get her nails done and was gone like more than an hour and a half, the father and the sons were calling her to find out where she was. Um, They're just a very involved, tight family, right? So I grew up in a household where my parents very much love each other and my mother would throw like conferences and retreats for women. So she'd go take a group of women to the Bahamas, take a, a group of women to Florida, go, you know, she's going and doing things. And, you know, my dad was very active as well. And, you know, doing, he's a pastor, a community organizer and all these things. And they come together and it's awesome. And then they're doing their thing. Right. And so that's what I observed growing up. And so in college, I got into spoken word. And so uh, then I started getting invited different places to go and speak. And so I would go places and, you know, form and do all these things. And so uh, the, the guy who I was dating who was from this very different household. He said to me, um, I would want to marry you, but you would have to, like, cut out all this traveling because what's going to happen to the children? At this point, I'm in my 20s. So I said, what children? <laughs> like, there were no children. There are no children. What are you talking about? And but what it was, I give that by way of example of he's a great person. I feel like I'm a pretty great person. Right. His family is wonderful. My family is wonderful. But it's a very different expectation of what life would be and how life should be. And so sometimes we have to make peace with uh, people can be good people and not be aligned. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's so important for people to discern because a lot of people will go ahead and be together anyway, but then be unhappy or want that person to change right. into their reality. And that's I feel right. like that's where it becomes difficult because you're going in hoping, well, I hope once we have kids, maybe she'll like cut back on the travel or maybe I can love her enough. And you're thinking, oh, hopefully when he sees how great it is and how much extra income and how much fun I'm having, how happy I am, maybe he can be at peace with my traveling and you get together and you realize uh, nobody's changing. Right, nobody's changing. (laughs) And this is so important because we often fall in love with people's potential Mm -hmm. of who I could make them. Right. If they would change these five things, this person is perfect. That's all I need is them to change these five things. But they may be at the core of who this person is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to ask ourselves is if nothing changes, do I love them as they are? Yes. You know, that that is the, the issue. Mm-hmm. That is so good. And I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, okay, let me re- let me rethink this relationship. Right. Yes. And you also talk a lot about spirituality. And I love, especially, um, you know, coming from the background of ministry, I would love for you to speak on spirituality mm-hmm. and how you infuse, you know, 
everything into your spirituality. Yes, absolutely. So your spiritual practices are so important for our holistic wellness. And so you want to think about what are the things that nourish your spirit, right? You know, we feed our minds by learning, by reading, thinking. We take care of our bodies and we talk about like exercise and drink water. Uh, What are the things uh, that strengthen your faith, that feed you and nourish you, that awaken you, that animate your life on a soul level? And so what I encourage people to do is to create morning rituals of what are the things you will do in the morning uh, to start your day, to set the tone for your day. And so for some people, that will be prayer and meditation. For some people, that will be reading sacred texts. Uh, For some people, it will be getting up and dancing. I love to dance. Uh, For some people, it may be starting the day with journaling. Um, So before you have to do a million things on your to-do list, and before you get to social media, to check in with you and your spirit and nourish yourself, it helps to ground you so you're not so easily distracted or discouraged as you go throughout the day. So then, you know, uh, it's not that now, like my whole life is going to be ordered in such a way that it's what I want, right? Surprises are going to happen. Delays are going to happen. Disappointments are going to happen. But I have a sense of being centered and I have some clarity about myself, so I'm not easily blown. Mm, I love that. And I practice that every single day. I'm a testimony to what Amen. you're saying works, because when I have time for my morning rituals, I feel more grounded. I feel more at peace. My responses are more compassionate and mindful. Um, And when I don't, I'm still love, but I can definitely see my inner energy. I'm more disturbed. I'm more irritable. I'm more like I have a shorter tolerance level because I haven't taking that time to connect with my purpose and my breath and my my sense of myself. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend as well, everyone listening, develop a morning ritual practice, even if it's 10 minutes. I mean, I, I need two hours because holding space for a lot of people. Um, and then also within the rituals, you have um, your own well-being practices. So can you share some of the wellness practices that you do to keep yeah. yourself mm-hmm. alive? Yes, absolutely. So one that I want to name is actually around social support or community support. Um, So there's the issue of self-care and then there's community care. And some of us stress ourselves out by maintaining stressful friendships and relationships, right? If the majority of the people I spend time with either are all dependent on me and I'm perpetually pouring and never receiving, or they're people who I just don't feel good in their presence, uh, that is going to make it hard for me to be at home within myself. So I have a wonderful sisterhood circle called The Gathering. Uh, And once a month, they well before COVID, they would come to my house. Now, once a month, we gather uh, uh, online in virtual space. And it's a beautiful time for us to pour into each other and to encourage each other and to give kind of the unfiltered updates of our lives. And so because it isn't just dependent on one person kind of being the lead of it, everybody receives. And also, you know, you have people... I'd say in some ways have an accountability circle because we we deal with each other honestly. And uh, that has been such a blessing to my life. 
Um, I also love, I mentioned I love dancing. So in the pandemic, in the beginning, I, I was walking all the time. I had gotten into the daily walking and, you know, this situation has been going on so long, you have to like switch strategies. So yeah. then I switched switch from walking and I got into something called kukuwa, which is African dance aerobics. Mm-hmm. And you can find them on YouTube. I don't know them, but it's a mother-daughter team who are wonderful. And it's K-U-K-U-W-A. And they have really short ones. So they're really like, it's no excuse. So <laughs> you can do a short one or a longer one. And for me, the music and their personalities and the movements, you know, just help it to feed and nourish you. Yes, I love that. I absolutely love that. And thank you so much for just creating this, you know, this opportunity that women can come together and just yes. be with each other. And I, I 100% agree. Me creating a sisterhood in my life helps yeah. me feel more nourished. It helps mm-hmm. me just feel better. I feel excited. I feel happy. And I feel like getting that regular pouring into, mm-hmm. I didn't have all my life. And I definitely noticed that I feel stronger. I feel more empowered and more affirmed. With mm-hmm. Ah, yes, yes. Um, I, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. It makes it so then when people, you know, kind of use those stereotypes about, you know, women not getting along or not being connected. I'm like, you know, sisterhood is a gift. Friendship is a gift. Relationships are a gift. You know, if the ones that you're in are draining you, then it just means you need to shift those, either work on them to improve them, or you may need to exit and release them. Um, But the ways in which we can be a blessing to each other is so wonderful. What makes a good friend for you? I know it's different for everyone, but for you, what do you need for it to be like, yes, I, yes. what do you need? Uh, I need someone who is, when I talk about that emotional intelligence, so mm-hmm. that self-awareness and um, authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't have to guess about like where we stand or what we think and, and being transparent. So For me, it's not friendship if people are doing like self-promotion or superficial, um, like to be real, right? To be a real friend, you have to be a real person. (laughs) And so uh, that is is what I really enjoy. My my very best friend I met uh, when we were 17 years old, our first year at Duke University, Uh, we have been friends ever since. I'm now 48 and she is the godmother um, of my eldest daughter. And so it, I appreciate uh, someone that um, we have been with each other in the different seasons of our lives. So that consistency, but it continues to be a joy. But while we can also show up for each other, you know, if we're experiencing despair, um, but really a place of honest nourishment. Mm, I love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And you are building a huge community. Can you talk about, because our pillars are spiritual wellness and entrepreneurship. Can you talk a little bit about the community um, that you're building in life as an entrepreneur? Yes, absolutely. It has been uh, so wonderful for me looking at kind of expanding the reach. And for me, it's expanding the reach of psychology. So I use this term psychology for the people and that, you know, Mental health awareness shouldn't be limited to the academy 
It uh, shouldn't be limited, you know, while I provide um, therapy, it shouldn't be limited to that space. Um, but knowledge is power. And so I just started uh, disseminating information, sharing the information. Um, I do that in social media. And then what ends up happening, because, you know, with like tweets and these other things, it has to be super brief. So then people are always asking in the comments, but how or what does that mean or what does that look like? So then I started the Homecoming podcast, and that was about three years ago. And those are like 30 minute episodes. We are sharing the information. And even though we call it, the, even though it is the World Wide Web, I was still startled by the international reach. And mm-hmm. that has been such a gift to me to have uh, listeners literally from all over the world. And even with the episodes, people would still email in more questions. So instead of uh, trying to email all these people, I said, let me just put it in a book <laughs> so uh, then people can can access it that way. Um, but I'm grateful and intentional about trying to communicate to people from all walks of life. And so I, I teach, I'm a professor at Pepperdine University. And, you know, when I'm bringing my students into the community to do mental health workshops, you know, I kind of uh, talk with them about how this isn't like a class presentation where you're just saying a whole bunch of jargon, right? You, When you're sharing with the community, you want to express it in a way that people understand what you're saying. And that's the big priority, not for you to sound fancy, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, that has is just a, a heart uh, that I have for being able uh, to share, uh, share knowledge. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I love how you're like, we need to get this out there. And the mental goes with the spiritual, goes with the psychological. It all goes together in order for us to be whole. Can you talk a little bit about the different modalities and how you believe the coming together is the solution? Yes. So sometimes uh, we feel, and I'm including myself in that from kind of my earlier days, like uh, as if you had to shape shift, right? So depending on the environment you're in, that you're a drastically different person or that you feel like you have to hide aspects of yourself, which mm-hmm. is a lot of emotional labor, right? right? So I say to the students, you know, if you get to the point of graduation and you have left yourself behind, it wasn't worth it, mm. right? You know, why get a degree And so you can enter into some spaces and not be who you are and not represent uh, your values and your uh, interests of your community, because then that's tokenism. Right. Mm -hmm. So they'll put your face on the brochure, your face on the website, but you haven't shifted the environment at all. And Mm -hmm. so um, to be our our cultural selves, uh, to be our creative selves, to be our spiritual selves. So I think. Here's the thing about my spiritual self is I show up as I am and I don't um, put that on anybody else. I think what makes people nervous as soon as they hear, oh, this person is supposed to be in this scholarly role or some other role and they're a spiritual person, their people's automatic association is their experience of people trying to make them think what they think or do what they do. Right. And so I'm grounded in me, but because I'm so clear about that, 
I don't feel defensive about it. And I don't feel a need to convince anybody else to do it the way I do it. People need to develop their path for themselves. So I think it's important that as we recognize our spirituality, it is to nourish us. You know, now I have people who will ask me about, you know, my practices or my uh, beliefs, and then I'm very willing to share it, but I don't put that on people. Right. I love that you said that because I definitely get that a lot with veganism um, and spirituality to where people think just being around me, they have to be a certain way. That's not authentic. Or if they're eating something, they'll make a comment. Well, it's not vegan, but (laughs) I didn't even say anything. anything. It's so it's so interesting or people ask questions and you tell them to answer like, well, I can't do that. I'm like, and that's totally fine. So I I feel like it's a it's a very nuanced um, thing to talk about. How do you deal with situations or have you even had this happen to you where it's like you really don't want to talk about your choices because they are your choices. And sometimes you feel like people are reeling you into a conversation mm-hmm. that you literally cannot win in. Like, right. like yes. and you don't want to have it. Like, how do you right. those Yeah, I appreciate that. It's setting the boundary because I, it, the, the question and tone feels very different when you have someone who is sincerely curious and someone who likes to debate and argue. Right. I don't enjoy debating. And so I, I don't do it for sport. I don't do it for fun. I don't do it in my downtime. It's like that is labor. And so uh, when I get invited to uh, debates that I don't want to participate in, I don't. And I think that helps with our maturing is getting to the place where I have nothing to prove. Mm-hmm. Right. I have I have no investment in uh in this debate with you, I can see it's a dead end. And, and emotionally, I don't want to do that to myself. Right. So, you know, a question is asked, depending on what the question is and the mode I'm in, I may give one answer, a brief answer, but if I see it's like turning into like a back and forth, but a, but a, what about that? uh, I think that you have some very clear ideas Um, And they are different from my ideas. And I'm just not really having the desire to invest in uh, sharing those ideas right now. Mm, I love that. That's so clear. (laughs) And I think it's important to have those healthy boundaries, especially in conversation. Right. I had to during, um, you know, the last two years just realize like I'm emotionally exhausted talking about pretty much everything. Like Mm -hmm. literally, I just like I don't want to talk about and I had to create because I was literally experiencing anxiety and Mm -hmm. social fatigue. And I was just like. Yeah, I'm I'm done. I, right. I just I just want to play. How was your day? Yes, exactly. Um, what makes you feel good? What do you want to eat? You know, right, right. And so, have you gotten to a point, you know, in doing your work where you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. I just need some time out. And how do you take those? And I mean, not I mean, every day you mm-hmm. have your rituals, but how do you take those breaks? And do you take breaks from you know mm-hmm. being involved? Yes, absolutely. We we have to. So you know, whatever people's, you know, values are, I would say like around justice or the things you want to change in the world, 
you know, we discover, you know, as the saying goes, that it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And so we have to pace ourselves, you know, for the change you want to see in the world or in your personal life, uh, for it to be sustainable, then I cannot empty myself out, right? I cannot operate uh, on on fumes. And so to make, you know, a mistake I think we often make is we wait until we break down, right? When I, we get sick and then, or, you know, our bodies, our minds or whatever break down and then we are forced to be still, right? Or the pandemic made us be still. So instead of waiting until it's forced to really think about the way I pace my day and pace my week so that it includes things that nourish me, so that it includes uh, joy and pleasure and fun, um, so that uh, I am intentional about my labor. And just because people feel entitled to my labor doesn't mean I have to do labor for them. And, um, you know, I'll just give by way of example, I do uh, workshops around race and racism, and that is a labor and uh, one I uh, enjoy doing when I am choosing to do that. But if I am on my off time and someone just kind of wants me to give them a one-on-one workshop on racism in America, like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not signing up for that, right? There, you know, there are books, there are webinars, there's all kinds of ways you could learn that, but I'm not going to use my downtime to do like a one-on-one workshop. Um, even if someone like just sincerely, you know, uh, wants to know that information, there are many ways to know that information. Um, and so being mindful of our boundaries is really important, uh, even around phone calls, or let me even say in social media, you know, sometimes in social media, people, you know, feel entitled that you should give them answers on what they should do in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Right. It just got to really take that in. Like to go and sell a stranger's DM who has a full-time job, even if I didn't, but I'm <laughs> I had a full-time job and to write 10 paragraphs about your life and then say, so what should I do? Like, do you, and the expectation that I'm really supposed to solve your life on my downtime in my DMs. So like I could, I could uh, obey that and think, well, because they sent this, I now have to figure out what is the solution to their life, or I can encourage them to go and work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that is so valid, especially for those of us who are, you know, have codependent tendencies and we want to save the world and save everybody. Um, I definitely had to learn a boundary and say, you know, I have a book, I have a podcast, I have these things, I have a membership where you can go and get this information. Because I think when people are in uh, trauma or they're in, you know, their emotions and feelings yeah. and they feel some type of connection to you, they will reach out like that. And for you to be empowered in the healthy boundaries that you've shared with us, I think it's so important. I think a lot of people listening are going to realize that when you do that, you might like, oh, I'll do it this once because I do have some free time and I really want to help this person. But then you're setting an expectation Uh because you do it once, they're going to keep going to get fed from you like that. And then when you're like, oh, I can't do it now, that's Mm -hmm. when the ugly side comes out. Wait a minute, who this? Yes, yes, yes. And and I think it's important for 
people to note two things in terms of honoring the person you're addressing and then honoring yourself, mm-hmm. right? So in terms of honoring the person you're accepting, you may uh, uh, think like you're just one person and this is just one super long message, but how many of those messages do you think they receive and what does their day look like? And are they not also in a pandemic and also have family and also have all these other things? Um, but then I would also say in terms of honoring yourself, because one of the things, even with even with therapy clients, therapy is not for us to tell people what to do, mm-hmm. right? Therapy is for you to come home to yourself so that you can then operate in clarity. So it's not like, you know, um, for me to say whether you should cut off your mother or stay in relationship with your mother. It's not for me to tell you whether you should leave your husband or give him another chance after he cheated three times. That's not my decision, right? (laughs) So a part of our healing is learning to trust ourselves and to be empowered, which I know for many of us requires that we learn some skills. So that, you know, is what happens in therapy or with these resources is to get the skills so that then you can apply them to your life. Ashe, so true. Um, what has been the hardest thing that you've had to deal with and how were you able to overcome it? So I uh, note in the book that I've had multiple homecomings, so multiple experiences that disconnected me from myself. Um, it's hard for me to rank them, but I'll say one of the central ones that, you know, my uh, big part of my life's work has been directed toward um, was sexual assault. And so uh, that occurred uh, early in my life during my collegiate years uh, when I was home from uh, a break from college. And as is often the case, it was uh, someone that was known to me and known to my family. Um, And so that was uh, very painful. And there were uh, multiple strategies for my healing. So I did go to therapy. Um, I also say that dance uh, was important for me to maintain a relationship with my body. Some people who are survivors of either molestation or sexual assault or sexual harassment end up like hating their bodies or feeling shame in their bodies or disconnected from their bodies. And I think because I danced my way through it, I never thought of like my body as the enemy or my body as the reason for the violation Um, And also when it was difficult to talk about, I uh, was able to to express it in both my dance and my poetry. You know, in poetry, you can kind of hide things in metaphor. And so, you know, I had my voice, even if I was sharing it in a coded way. Um, It was also important for me, my, my spirituality, to know and to believe that there is an aspect of me that was untouched by that person, right? That they don't have access to. Um, And also because healing in and of itself is a faith walk, right? To believe that things can be better than they are right now, right? To have, be able to have hope in uh, circumstances that feel very overwhelming. Um, And then I will say uh, giving back. So I later became like a rape crisis counselor. A lot of my research has been on sexual trauma. Uh, I am a psychologist who works a lot. And an interesting thing is that now I not only work with survivors, but I also work with offenders. 
And, um, you know, that took growth to be able to do that. But it's important work um, because ultimately we want to stop these violations from happening. Uh, And so I can honestly say that I reclaimed myself and I I, um, am intentional about sharing that in public because I think when people look around, they often are looking for examples of recovery and they might only see the devastation because when people are devastated, they talk about it. When they come through it, they hide it. And so it's been my intention to never hide because also hiding it means I'm ashamed and I don't have anything to be ashamed of, right? As it relates right. to violation. And so shattering shame and silence is also a part of the healing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know it's not easy. It never gets easier to share, but I appreciate it. And I also appreciate you saying part of your homecoming was also working with the offenders because there is a lot of, you know, um, of us women that have been offended and men who have been sexually assaulted, but it is working with the people who have assaulted and who have offended and really understanding like the thought process and really mm-hmm. understanding and speaking about the gray areas because I was speaking about this um, with someone I was in relationship and, and him as a man and me and a woman had vastly different perspectives on what was okay, what was not okay. Um, And I feel like us talking about that more in public um, is really important because we don't grow up and we don't really have any lessons about consent, any lessons about what's okay and what's not okay. Every situation is different, but there are a lot of cases out there when people just literally don't know, way too many cases where people are just unclear on what's okay and what's not okay. And I feel like um, just what you said with really speaking to both sides is really going to help clear some of that confusion. Yeah. And and it is so important for us to talk about Um, consent and for men to speak with other men about consent, because often where are they getting those messages? It's not just like that randomly it's confusing. It is what uh, often, and it can be men or women who are offenders, but particularly around uh, gender uh, dynamics. You know, when I was doing a workshop on a college campus and literally had a man raise his hand uh, uh, and say, you know, well, when women say no, they don't really mean it. So you can keep going. And I said, and then how would you know if she meant it? And he laughed literally and said, I could just tell. Mm. Right. So then it's up to him and that and I am clear, like he didn't create that idea. Right. This is something that gets passed down that, you know, that gets taught. You just got to wear them out, give them a couple more drinks, you know, get them late at night. They're acting shy, but they really want to. So this is being directly taught. And so as you're naming, we have to be very clear. Uh, Often, you know, a a criticism is a lot of the prevention workshops are for women to learn like self-defense or to look out for strangers. But we have to be very intentional uh, in conversations with men and women um, about uh, consent, about violation, and also about uh, being a bystander. Right. When you see someone who's like passed out at a club and a stranger is like putting them in a car. So we have to uh, collectively uh, do better. 
I love that you shared that that example um, of that man that spoke up because it made me think about how when men hear no, they think it's about them, not about the fact that the woman just isn't ready or doesn't want it. And so they're like, well, let me prove to you that I'm good or like I can or like you're going to be happy with this. And so they literally because I had a situation with a man. I'm like, I know he wasn't trying to offend me, but I clearly said no. And he clearly kept pursuing me. Yes. And I'm just like, you clearly are not hearing me. And you clearly have another agenda in your Mm -hmm. mind right now. That and I feel like without talking about it and without mm-hmm. hearing about it from another man, like, hey, bro, that's mm-hmm. not okay. Like, mm-hmm. no means no. That means stop right there. Excuse yeah. yourself. And you know, and along, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that conversation needs to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see a pattern yeah. with it being about the man being rejected uh-huh. or the man wanting to feel or the person that's pursuing uh-huh. want to feel like I I know you like me and I know that this could be good. Just give me a chance. Yes. Yes. Thank you for raising that example about your resistance being dismissed or then people getting mad at you because you want them to stop And um, I want to say along those lines, when I have done workshops on consent, what people will often say, well, um, if I have to ask them, it'll ruin the mood. Mm -hmm. So you got to really reflect on that, right? If someone wants to have sex with you, you asking them if they want to have sex with you, if that's going to make them change their mind, they didn't want to have sex with you, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of like, I, you know, people know what consent is. They don't want to ask because they don't want to receive the no. They want to just operate in silence so then we could pretend confusion, right? So this this is so important. It's so important. It's so nuanced. And thank you for going there. Thank you for sharing. Hopefully this conversation will make people think twice and ask for consent and be okay if someone says no. Mm -hmm. Be okay if someone says yes. Because I truly believe the best, sex happen when Mm -hmm. both people are like, yes, absolutely, let's go. And everything else is a gray area and can be very harmful eventually to both people. Yeah. And I want to say gray gray is no. Gray is no. Gray is no. Right. So it's either, either we're consenting or somebody here is not consenting. And so uh, then you're, you know, taking it by force and um, or by uh, manipulation or trickery and deception. And so that is not uh, that is not intimacy. That's Gray not is intimacy. no. Mm-hmm. I love that. Gray is no. Confusion <laughs> is no. Pause is no. Right. All right. is no. All of those things are no. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. It's just been so incredible um, just talking with you and just diving into your world. And I, I recommend every single person out there pick up a copy of this book or listen to the Audible Homecoming. It really will help you come home to yourself. And not only that, it will also help you deal with relationships 
you work relationship stories, a personal relationship. You really covered it all very well. Like I know that this is something that I'm going to listen to again. Like I can literally listen to this like three times because you have, you do have so many stories in there and refer back to certain chapters and, and share it with friends because I feel like you really did a good job of addressing so many, the, so many different layers that we have where we can get disconnected from ourselves. And we don't have to be perfect um, to realize like, oh, you know what? This is not an alignment with what I want. So let me come back home. Mm, Beautiful. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book and that you had the audible on that journey. Uh, And thank you for sharing this time with your listeners. Thank you. What is there any one last message you would like to give to them and when it comes to coming home to themselves? Yes, I would say to know that we are here to do more than survive and we are even here, here to do more than heal. So once we get through all of those situations of our past and our present to then think about the flourishing, to think about what you're here for, as you mentioned, the entrepreneurship or your creativity your purpose. So there is more to you than what has been done to you. So true. There is more to you than what has been done to you. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. Um, and where can people find you? Um, where can yes. you a copy of so your my, my website is drtama.com, D-R-T-H-E-M-A.com. And I will say I'm not currently taking clients. So you can, I do have some referral Uh, directories on the website and social media. I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and most recently TikTok, just like since March. So you all come and check me out. And uh, and the Homecoming podcast is on all major platforms. Uh, Thank you so much. And if y'all are listening, definitely, if you had some takeaways, if anything resonated with you, um, tag us on social media. Let us know your takeaways. Let us know how it gave you an aha moment or really made you think about something differently um, because we love to hear it. We love to see it. And until next time, love yourself, love others and love the world one day at a time, one breath at a time. Peace and love. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for being part of the Get Loved Up community. I like to share topics and people making a positive impact in the world, and your feedback means the world to me. If you haven't already left a review, please leave a five-star review and let me know what you want to hear more of on the show. I'm here for you, and together, we're making the world a better place, one day at a time, one show at a time. Thank you for listening.